0: The Precision Medicine Initiative, introduced in January by President Obama, aims to support the development of new targeted cures for a range of diseases. But does precision medicine really offer the greatest promise for improving health, or should we be focusing at least equal attention on population-based efforts and interventions? I'm Stephen Morrissey, Managing Editor of the New England Journal of Medicine, and I'm talking with Ronald Baer, co-director of the Center for the History and Ethics of Public Health at the Columbia University Mailman School of Public Health. Dr. Baer has co-authored a perspective article about why the precision medicine agenda won't address the greatest health challenges facing the United States. Dr. Baer, why do you think we've seen such a strong push for precision medicine if the evidence suggests that clinical interventions are not the most important driver of health status?
1: I think the first thing is that it's frontier science. And it attracts a huge amount of attention because it sounds like there are kind of new kind of research initiatives that can represent breakthroughs, represent new ways of seeing disease, new ways of treating disease. And frankly, people get tired of hearing about social determinants of health. They want something new and fresh. So I think it's new. And some have said it's research into this domain, which is going to revolutionize the practice of medicine, revolutionize the treatment of those who are sick, and in that way, make us a healthier people. I just think it's a misdirection of our attention. Very often when people hear someone take my position, they say, oh, that sounds like anti-science or anti-medicine. It's not that. I have no doubt, and my colleague, Sandro Galea, we have no doubt that the work being done will produce new insights in the future, maybe the distant future, but there will be new frontiers of science. The question for us is whether... This research addresses two fundamental questions. Why do we have such vast social disparities in health in the United States, not only by class but because of race and ethnicity? And why is America at the very bottom of the list of comparable nations in terms of longevity and health status? That's nothing to do with the genome, it's nothing to do with clinical medicine, it is everything to do with, as yet difficult to understand, but it's clear to us, social forces that shape both health and disease in America today.
0: And in fact, pursuing that, you write in your article that even when health care services are free, poor people continue to fare worse on measures of health than wealthy people. So what are the main factors that contribute to that disparity?
1: There have been many, many explanations. There is this study we make reference to, which is really a classic, it is the Whitehall study from Great Britain. Great Britain has had a national health service since the end of World War II, where access to care was free, and yet it was found that at every level of the social stratification system, people just above did better than people just below. That is with a free healthcare system. So what is going on? It's clear that many of the causes of disease and illness are social. They are poor nutrition or lousy nutrition. They are poverty. They are the anxiety of being treated badly in a society their racial isolation. Until recently, it was basically almost impossible to have a serious public discussion about social inequality in America. Suddenly the word inequality has become a topic that politicians are willing to address from all sides of the political spectrum. And they see it as social inequality in terms of vast disparities of income, vast disparities in where people live and can't afford to live, vast disparities in educational opportunity, But I think Americans actually find it hard to understand and to really believe that people who need care don't get the care they need and find it very hard to believe that people who are poor get sick and live shorter lives. And I think they find it hard to believe because it would be too painful in a way to confront the realization that America has not lived up to its promise, that we are as unequal today as we have been in a century, and things have gotten worse.
0: You say in your article that even though the United States spends more on health than all other countries, we have poorer health indicators than many of our peers. So how do those countries with better outcomes spend their health dollars? What can we learn from them?
1: Well, number one, the patterns of social inequality are fundamentally different. So it's not simply a matter of spending dollars on health care. It's a matter of spending the dollars we do spend on health care wisely. The goal of public health is... Prevent illness, not to treat illness. And until we commit ourselves to the idea that there are things we can do in the social realm that will reduce the patterns of morbidity, the incidence of disease, the patterns of morbidity and mortality, we're not going to get any place. That's not to minimize how important, for example, the Affordable Care Act is. And what we've seen with the Affordable Care Act is the huge pent up demand that has emerged for people who were unable to see doctors when they needed to see doctors. So, of course, we have to act on that front. I don't think Sandro Gueye or I would ever minimize the extent to which a more equitable health care system matters. But we have a health care system that equitable health care is not going to produce equity in health outcomes because the inequity in health outcomes are directly related to the inequities in our social fabric at this point, and we have to learn to address those. And by the way, we think there is a huge need to do research into the pathways through which inequalities, social inequalities, produce negative health outcomes. I think the most important and kind of important document for people to look at was a study released a couple of years ago by the National Academy of Sciences, which basically underscored this problem of comparing the U.S. to other economically advanced democratic nations, and it says explicitly, even if we could address the issue of health care, that would not solve our problem. So the issue is really not one of clinical medicine and clinical practice, but really it has to do with kind of how we organize our public health systems so that we kind of prevent the diseases from occurring.
0: So how would you shift the focus and the funding away from technologically advanced interventions and toward prevention, toward public health infrastructure?
1: I think probably the first thing we need to do is to try to understand what happens, for example, when you raise the minimum wage of millions of people and they have more disposable income and they are not so impoverished. What begins to happen to really monitor the health outcomes of changes not in the healthcare sector, and not even what people conventionally think of as the public health sector, but we have to monitor very carefully what happens when we begin to change the patterns of social inequality. What happens when the opportunity to go beyond high school improves for people at the bottom of the social ladder? What happens to health outcomes? We don't have very clear answers about that, but it seems to me that that kind of epidemiological monitoring that kind of careful observation of outcomes, and then to try to understand mechanisms. Because I read this literature very carefully, and we have a big black box between social inequality on the one side, social disparity on the one side, and health outcomes. And what happens in that black box to translate social inequality into health inequality is something that we have some ideas. Some people focus on stress, some people focus on the experience of being less than, but we don't have very kind of firm answers. And I think that's a domain we really, really have to understand. I think it wasn't my part of the work on this article, but rather Sandro Galea's, to look at how the interests of the NIH have shifted over time so that less attention is being given to these so-called fundamental causes, social causes and much more on the very appealing and scientifically very exciting work on genomics. And Americans haven't gotten obese because their genome structure has changed. And Americans don't fare worse than people in England or France or Germany because we have a different genetic makeup. Something is going on, and we have to kind of face that. And I think I would ask readers to ask themselves, why is it that we get so excited about the prospects of what precision medicine can offer us, what draws us to that when the evidence for decades about the social determinants of health has been demonstrative.
0: So, Finally, given the current funding environment that you describe, what concrete steps do you think physicians and policymakers can take to improve public health infrastructure, reduce health disparities? What should be the priorities?
1: I think to the extent that certainly physicians who are committed to enhancing the well-being of their populations, have to kind of recognize that however important their clinical practices are, however important it is to treat every individual patient, given what we know about what the individual patient is going to need, if we really care about our patients, we want them not to get sick. We have recognized that we're going to pay hospitals, for example, better, those hospitals that have fewer readmissions. That's a recognition that prevention counts. What we're suggesting is that if you say prevention counts, the gap between clinical medicine and public health is so problematically vast that it serves neither clinical medicine nor public health. What we really need is physicians and people working in the domain of public health to kind of recognize that if we really want to shape the health of the American people, then we have to shift our focus from vast investments in what is important at the margin And to begin to ask the question, what can we do to address these social disparities? What do we need to do to make sure that our patients, at every age level, by the way, it's kids, it's adolescents, it's young adults. The only adults in America who don't fare worse than people in our comparable nations are people over 75. And I suspect if you make it to 75, you are tough. And, of course, we've had five decades of Medicare. So that's to underscore that secure access to health care matters, but it's not enough.
0: Thank you, Dr. Baer.